This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 10th, 2020, episode 2388. Good morning, horse world! When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge... You're an endurance rider. Welcome back, everybody, to the second Tuesday of the month endurance episode. Regular host Karen Chatton is taking a much-deserved break this month. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece featuring Tom McGinnis, who shares why qualifying for WEG is so important, Sarah Schick on hoof balance for equine athletes, and Patty Stedman introduces us to a web-based course for endurance riders. What have you been up to? Well, I've been finally getting the horses out. The mud, like I said, it dried up. And then like two days later, it snowed. But that was kind of fun because we were able to go out and ride in the snow, which is always a kind of a fun thing to do. And then the snow, like you said, it's March. So it melted quickly. And we've been riding. The horses have been getting worked like four or five times every week and so they are going to be ready for their upcoming endurance rides and in the meantime i received in the mail from the aerc um some longevity pins which are like little metal um, pin insignia type things that you you know can put on a jacket or a hat or whatever and each of those um recognizes that um one of my horses has achieved 10 years or more in the sport of endurance. So I received four of those and one for 15 years for my horse, Granite Chief. Wow. That's incredible when you think about how many horses make 15 years in any competition of any kind. Right. And he doesn't know he's going to be 22 years old next month. And he still bounces and jigs and acts like a silly little (laughs) five-year-old or six-year-old every time he's coming home from any ride. (laughs) Wow. So so it's kind of fun. You know, it's fun to have these horses that you've spent a lot of time with because you really know each other and you've built up the, you know, the relationship and the partnership together. And and so I think to me that that's what is really the the value in trying to achieve longevity in in this sport that that's why it's so meaningful and why so many people that's an important goal for him now we actually had 51 new decade teams in 2016 and if you go back you know 10 or 15 years ago there was maybe 12 or 14 a year and and so you can see that the trend is towards more and more people have learned how to manage their horses and take care of them better so that they last and hold up for, you know, for, um, you know, competing for a decade or longer in the sport, which I think is just um, uh, 
really I think that kind is of amazing because awesome. we hear a lot of negatives about how you know people are pushing horses more and they're not lasting as long. So that's good to hear. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, because you hear that in all the disciplines, how, you know, the horses are washed up by the time they're six, you know, and it's it, it's just so good to hear that that's, that's going the opposite way here in the United States with endurance horses. And right. You know yes, and we, you put all this time and effort into, you know, uh-huh. into them, why, you would want them to last longer, right? I mean, that's the goal. Well, sure. It's a whole lot easier to just, you know, take it slow because then, you know, it's like the the term you hear a lot, you know, the, the slower you go, the faster you're going to get there, which right. sort of sounds sort of funny, but that's how it works with horses. And especially with endurance, you know, if you have a really uh, phenomenal horse, it's going to only benefit the horse. If you take a ride season or two and, and take it, um, you know, a little bit more conservatively starting out and don't get in a big hurry, you know, because you can add injuries that are going to plague the horse just like they do us, you know, for the rest of that horse's career. So if you can avoid that to start with and build a good base on your horse the first couple of seasons, then you you have a much greater chance of having that horse last for a, a longer period of time, which is, you know, like I was saying most of us now view that as one of our greatest goals. Now, speaking of horses lasting a long time and people lasting a long time, they just <laughs> just had the AERC convention, annual convention, we, and there were some Hall of Fame inductees, right? There were. We have Jackie Bumgardner, who was posthumously named to the AERC Hall of Fame. And I mentioned last month that she had just passed away, yeah, unfortunately. We had her on the show, didn't we? Um, I don't believe we no? did, and I, I'm sure I'm going to wish that I had have. Yeah. You know, she was the ride manager at the very first endurance ride I ever went to. Oh, really? Which is, yes. It, wow. which, and I always used to go and help her mark trail down there because it was just such a, one of the most beautiful rides in the West region. Was It's the Eastern High Sierra Classic, and now it's a memorial ride for her. And we have Hall of Fame horse, GE Brazil's Envy, owned by Ann Cradoville of Ridgecrest, California. And the Partners Award winners went to Don Bowen and his horse, Wild West, known as Willie. So congratulations to all of those so they get horses and riders. For, as partners? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure how that worked. Well, that's cool. Congratulations to everybody inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, are you there? Um, Chief is Chief my horse. Is Chief, okay. he's a Hall of Fame endurance horse. Yep. Yep. Well, you'll be there. You'll be there. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> One of these days, you're not old enough yet. Um, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you have to be of a certain age to be in the Hall of Fame, and you're just not there yet. I mean, you got the you got the miles for it certainly, but uh, uh, we we just have to get your age up a bit. Well, you know that. The thing is, it's just like with Jackie, everybody was kind of almost surprised that she wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. But there's so many people that should be there, you know, long before me, for sure. But there's there's so many other people that need to get recognized in that way. Uh, You know, it's already there's already a pretty good list of of people of overachievers that deserve it. There we go. Well, you know what? Uh, 
we we have had a sponsor on on all of our shows for for a year or two now, and of course that's Horseware. But one of the things that you may not know, and we've had Tom McGinnis on, who's the CEO of Horseware. We've had him on the shows before, but we have never talked to him about. We've always talked to him about blankets and about their products, which are terrific. But we've never talked to him about his personal passion, which I think is a fairly new thing, and that's endurance riding and endurance racing. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised, Tom. I really do. um, Yeah, well, a lot of my friends and people who, like, we sponsor fellow riders, polo players, they're not familiar with endurance, you know, for for, for the start. Right. And um, when to think of endurance, to think of, like, the tennis cup kind of thing. Or Geraldo, you know that that movie, right? <laughs> um, uh, so they don't understand that it's actually a very uh, well organized um, discipline and growing uh, dramatically. Well, did worldwide. you did so, you did you come into it late, Tom? You you just started not too long ago, didn't you? Well, I I did my first endurance in de- December twelfth. Okay, um, that. When I began, I decided I was going to go to Normandy. Um, I had been playing polo. I had a vet friend in Uruguay who was an endurance trainer. And I went over there and I spent just a little bit of time with him. And I figured, I like this. I can do this. I thought originally it would be boring, but nothing, it's everything but boring. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, at, at, the time, at the time, I was doing a bit of show jumping. I had I played a lot of polo, but the show jumping, it was over too quick. I mean, you're in and you're out. It's just not, you know, you invest five hours for 50 seconds. It's not, right. It doesn't make sense. Right. So um, I was doing the polo and I um, started endurance. So I managed to qualify for the Normandy. I, I mean, I, I was there at the first loop, but I got there um, and it was a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, because the FAI introduced a lot of very strict uh, qualification criteria on the 1st of January 2013. They've since then rolled them back, but it was quite quite an ordeal to get qualified. And um, so I, um, the horse that I qualified for, you know, has, has been retired now. So I bought a new horse just before going to Dubai on the 7th of January and that didn't go that well to be honest now it was a very tough race I wasn't prepared for it and the wrong saddle all the little things so I got as far as I got as far as the Fort Loop 142 kilometers and I have to say I was really tired and so was the horse but um, I rode the same horse last Friday in Barcelona in a place called Tordera we're about an hour north of um, Barcelona mm-hmm. in a beautiful countryside. I mean, it's very hilly. I think we had a 300 meters up and down on each loop. Wow. Um, and it was constantly turning. Um, so it was tough, tough, probably the toughest course in Europe, I'd say. Um, and we did it in around 16. Didn't put the horse under any pressure. Um, he finished, he got it another 50. But the main idea, the main idea, the main goal was to qualify for the European, which are in September. And it's an annual horse. 
So I wanted to be able to give him a break for a couple of months and then uh, bring him back up. So I wanted to try to get the qualification as early as possible. And you came in sixth? So I got my qualification. Came in, well, well, yeah, after 13 starters, six finished. Oh, wow. And I was the sixth. So, um, uh, as I said, the um, I mean, this this area in north of Barcelona is an incredible place for training. You've got very steep inclines. Uh, the weather's good. Scenery is amazing. Uh, Juma has his place there, about twenty minutes from where my horse trained. And uh, there's, I think, six other really big trainers in that area. And uh, in this race, like the first, four, the first five before me, I think, were all Juma's team. Um, and um, some of them did an amazing thing, an amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they could do like twenty-five down that mountain. I mean, it's just, <laughs> but. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I find it, um, as far as my own uh, business is concerned, it's such a technical sport. There's so many aspects to it. There's the saddles, there's the, there's the whole shoeing, the whole um, conditioning, the fitting, everything. There's, it's an amazing, amazingly complex sport. A bit like polo. Polo is, you know, in polo you have to hit the ball, you have to ride, you have to get the team. You have to, you know, you have to make the team because you've got different mm-hmm. levels of um, handicap. You got to have the horses, so it's it's complex, and um, you know, for endurance, it's very, very complex. And just to finish this at 160, like I was lucky in the beginning. I, I had a lot of, you know, luck, I suppose, what you call it, uh, to get qualified in such a short time. But since then, I've had a lot of unfortunate stuff happen. You know, lamenesses and all this kind of stuff. So I now realise. Just to finish the race isn't achievement. That's true. Right now, what are you? Uh, so, what? What? Tell us a little bit about your horse that you're riding right now. Is, I assume it's an Arab. Yeah, it's a French bred Arab. It's called um, uh, Sasha des Alice, nine year old to gelding. I bought it from uh, a guy called um, Jordi Arbus, who trains in a place called. Um, San Julia de Villa Torta, as I said, just north of um, Barcelona. Um, he's a small private. He's actually a lawyer, so he rides in the morning and he does law stuff in the afternoon. <laughs> um, he's got a couple of. Uh, I think he's got two, two uh, riders grooms, and he only keeps small yard. He only keeps about six, seven horses. So. Uh, he has his horse since I think it's a four-year-old or a five-year-old. So um, he's delighted to be able to, you know, keep the horse and train it for me. I mean, he's he looks after the horse better than I would look after myself. He's like it's it's an amazing uh, setup. Um, he knows everything because he's won just about every championship. This particular horse won the eight-year-old championship in France last year. Um, that's an amazing recovery. Not a very big horse, probably about 15 one hands, if that. Mm-hmm. Amazing recovery. Um, like a, on Friday there, I don't, I mean, we just barely got the saddle on, threw a bucket of water on, and he was in each time. Well, wow. And now, are you are you also before. now qualified for the upcoming WAG? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the other, I mean, I was, the WAG was is the real target, right? Okay, great. Um, but we've but we've got the Europeans first. Now, obviously, the Europeans would be a lot um, less competitive than the WEG. Um, 
but we're actually a sponsor in Tryon. We're a sponsor in, in the WEF in Wellington and in Palm Beach, and then we're also we're also sponsor in in Tryon. So I'm particularly interested, you know, to be qualified for Tryon. It's going to be interesting the, too because also that- they kind of. Yeah, I was going to say the terrain there should be a lot like what you're used to, what the ride you just talked about. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I'll be going to try on and have a look around. Um, um, I'm meeting a range there later on this month. Um, and I'll have a look at the course or the kind of terrain. But it will. It's, that's, it's not mountainous. It's more like, you know, big hills up and down a lot, a lot of turning and, you know, in the woods and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I think it would be. I think it'd be very, very similar uh, to uh, to try on. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on you. Uh, the Horseware is a sponsor of the the 2018 WEG Show, the show for the World Equestrian Games, here on the Horse Radio Network. So we'll also be keeping an eye and uh, keep everybody up to date on how how you're doing and progressing toward the WEG. Now, I bet you are the best outfitted as far as blankets for your horse of anybody <laughs> anywhere in the world. Well, it's a funny thing because. I took one photograph of the horse getting his legs, you know, putting, putting the, ice, the ice tight in his legs, and he was wearing a Fuganza blanket. So I got about 20 comments from my previous says, what is that horse wearing a Fuganza blanket? <laughs> so, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, you know, the, the, you know, the cobbler has a hole in his own shoe kind of thing. Uh-huh. But I, I, I am, I'm fixing all that. Yeah, absolutely. I bet. Your people um, are going to make sure no, you do. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm, I was I was got a lot of slagging for that now, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, we appreciate you, uh, you know, being a, a sponsor here on the Horse Radio Network. We're looking forward to following your progress. I think I think it's fun to let everybody know that you do this. I think most of your customers have no idea that you're an endurance rider, and I, that's why we wanted to have you on this endurance episode was to let everybody know who to look out for here. Oh yeah, well, I think um, you know, given the fact that the endurance has a fairly low profile, really. Um, it's one of the best kept secrets, uh, I think, around. Because anybody can do it. Like, I'm, I'll be 66 in July. Um, okay, you have to try to keep your weight down. And it does give me a big incentive to try to keep my weight down. And mm-hmm. be fit. Playing the polo gets me halfway there. And then I go to the gym for my, you know, core and just my back and that kind of stuff. But... Um, you know, it's 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 just it's. I find the whole um, endurance like it, even though it takes eight hours, you're literally eight to nine hours in the saddle. But even though there's never a moment when it's not exciting, because anything can happen at any moment. You know, mm-hmm. so you know people will think, oh, it's a boring. It's you know, it's you're in and, but it's it's amazing how how it's not boring. I mean, we started at five in the morning, we rode in the dark for an hour and a half. I don't know how we survived that, to be honest. I'd any little trails, and um, it was three degrees when we started. It was 25 degrees at lunchtime. So, you know, it's a constant moving target. But we are trying to get an Irish team together, and we've got a few um, few people in the States who have Irish passports, so we're trying to organize horses with them. So, look out for the Irish team, all right? 
Well, all right. We'll be looking out for it. Thank you, Tom, for joining us from Horseware. Of course, horseware.com is where you can okay. find Thank you. all of the products. Yes. Good luck on, uh, yes, on your upcoming luck, ride in Europe. All right. I'm sure we'll be talking before then. All right. Bye. All right. Take care, Tom. Well, there we go. A new competitor coming on the scene. So that means wow. that he started at the age of 62. Yes, a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be young to start out doing endurance. And that's the, like you said, anybody can do it. You don't even need to have an Arabian. You can, you know, as long as you have a horse that you can, uh, you know, spend the time conditioning and getting ready, a lot of different breeds can do it. So, and, you know, if you think about all the different sports there are in the world, how many can you say that about? Not too many. That you could start right. out at the age of 62 and then be going to a world championships twice. <laughs> you know, not yes, much, that is twice. kind of exciting. Yeah. Yes. So you know, and you don't, you know, there's no written rules with the kind of tack that you have to have. You can use what you've already got. It can be English. It can be Western. It can be, you know, a mix match of whatever you've got. Um, and you know, look at him. He just, uh, you know, he said, I made those, uh, you know, he made the mistakes everybody makes when they start out, right? Uh-huh. But you live and learn and you keep riding. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's very cool. Well, let's he he spoke about uh putting Ice Vibe on his horse when he was done. Let's hear a little about that and then we have Kristen coming up next from Distance Depot with her product of the month. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. I am going to be, and of course, you can find all the Ice Vibe products at horseware.com, horseware.com. I am going to be interested to see what happens with the Tryon course, because I don't think it's built yet. They're working on that. Uh, and it's going to be different than the course uh, that, you know, you'll hear about a little bit later. I know mm-hmm. that Sarah rides in North Carolina over at the Biltmore. So I think it's, you know, it's going to be a different course. Uh, but, you know, it must be interesting to build a 100-mile course, too, and how much time that must take. No kidding, because there's so many things to consider. You know, the length of the loops, you know, have to meet certain requirements and certain uh, distances between water. And, you know, how are they going to get the water out on the trail? The vet check. Um, and not stuff. just that, just so clearing the a lot of logistics. in the woods, right? That's a lot of chainsawing. That's a lot of Well, hopefully they're going to use existing trails, you know, and and then, yes, it's a matter of connecting everything together and and making them so that they're easy to follow so that the riders aren't out there getting confused. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, to make a new course that, uh, well, and usually will there be four loops a lot of times or... Uh, you know. I, I think four or five yeah, usually okay. is, is what we'll have to get somebody on that can just talk about that. The like logistics a, of, of building, the, yeah. a, you know, a good hundred mile course for an event of that caliber. It's got to be a lot to it. All right. Uh, for one race, it lasts one day. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, and hopefully they can use it again and again and again in the future, too. 
Uh, right. You know, and a try-on will be a good starting point for that, for sure. Well, we have Kristen on who joins us here once a, once a month with her product of the month from Distance Depot. Hi, Karen and Glenn. How are you this morning? Good. Good morning, Kristen. Thank you again for joining us. Great to be here. You're very and quiet, you're... Kristen, so speak with your outdoor voice. Okay. Can you hear me better now, Glenn? Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, okay. and we know you are just back from Texas, where you went to the AERC convention, and you came back and told me you have some new products to tell us about, a compression bra. Yes, actually, um, we have some new exciting products for ladies. Um, men, you, I don't know if you want to stay tuned, but uh, you <laughs> might have some ladies that could use some of these, but these are um, pretty exciting products for our girl lady riders. Um, one of the first ones that we'll talk about is the Carrots EQ sports bra that um, it's just very lightweight for a sports bra, has great um, air mesh in the back of it, so wonderful breathability, um, but it's designed for riders to reduce the bounce um, that we uh, <laughs> incur while riding many miles. Um, it has full coverage for comfort and nice wide shoulder area um, with strategically placed straps um, to help reduce that bounce and um, provide support and encourage correct shoulder position while you're in the saddle. So these are um, really nice and new from Carrots. Then we have um, an, a, a brand new product to us from a new company, and this is called uh, the Cheetah, Cheetah Trotter Bra. It's designed to keep you sleek like a cheetah, and no more bounce, ladies. <laughs> um, we these, these are so new. We'll be working um, today to get the video on there because there's actually a fast, easy process to putting this on correctly so that you can ride comfortably in the saddle. Um, there, um, let's see, it's a compression bra, and it, it provides um, such structure that, that you just won't bounce. Um, the weight, it focuses on the weight distribution of the chest and not just your size. So that's why there's a process to putting this on, um, because it distributes your chest, um, and, and so therefore giving you balanced weight distribution. It has um, optimal leveraging full coverage, and which provides no bounce, no rubbing, no digging, pulling, and it won't stretch out. It's very breathable. Um, it has a moisture wicking fabric, and it, it doesn't stretch out, like I said, from, from wear or sweat. So we believe this will help many ladies. Over the years, we have had many riders ask us, what can we wear I'm wearing two or three bras. Mm -hmm. This bra will solve your problems. Are these machine so washable? Yes, they are. Yep, oh, absolutely. good. Absolutely. And, and I'm looking at the back. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they zipper in the back, which is a little different for some of us. But what it does is it creates lumbar support because the back is designed. You, you actually pull it down. Um, <clears throat> so that it gives you full support, not just support in the front, but also back support so that your back doesn't feel tired um, after all of these hours in the saddle, too. So it's really, they're really new, new techniques, uh, uh, 
shoot, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Just um, new innovation for our sport. It's, it's really going to help a lot of women. And these look like they're going to offer enough coverage that you can wear them by themselves. Like a lot of women you, you do see riding yes. with just their sports bras. <laughs> these look like they're, they're pretty good full coverage so that you, you could do that without anything being. Yeah. I was just going to um, say these cover more than the, uh, a lot of shirts I <laughs> see. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And there, and I will mention just quickly, we have a I'll, step I'll in say it for you, Karen. These, I'll, Okay. Sorry. Yes, a lot of girls do ride in that. But uh, so we have this other bra by this same company called a Step In Bra, and it's designed for those that aren't able to put on the trotter bra. Trotter bra, pardon me, um, due to physical limitations by doing the zipper in the back. So this that one zippers in the front. It has a similar compression and materials, um, but it does give some of those ladies easier access. But we will be adding the cheetah tank top today, we hope. Um, and these are available in fun colors, same great um, support. Um, you can wear it with a bra underneath, but they're fashionable. And I think the gals, will, the endurance riders for sure, will really like the tank tops too. So we're excited about those. And they have great price points too. The cheetah bra is $63. Um, and I think the tanks are similarly priced as well. So pretty good. And if somebody was interesting in ordering, tell us how they would get in touch with the Distance Depot. Well, they can visit our website, thedistancedepot.com, and we have these right now under new products on the website, so they can find them there and or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349. Well, thank you, Kristen, for coming on. These sound like really kind of fun new products that are very useful for a lot of us. Yes, we hope so. <laughs> Thanks, Karen and Glenn. Thanks, Kristen. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye, Kristen. Bye-bye. Well, now our next guest, uh, why don't you introduce her? We had an opportunity to record this a little bit or uh, a couple days ago because she was not available this morning. Right. We have Sarah Schick, who is from also from the East Coast. She has been writing endurance since 2007 and has amassed nearly 3,000 miles in that time. And I actually had the pleasure of getting to ride with Sarah at the Tevis this last year, and we crossed the finish line together. And she is currently trying to make the United States team for the upcoming WEG. All right. Very good. Let's take a listen. Well, good morning, Sarah. Thank you for joining us on Endurance Day. Okay, so um, I kind of did a little bit of uh, cyber-stalking of you. I looked up your ride record, and I see you've been riding Endurance since 2007. So that is about 10 years now. What got you interested in the sport? Uh, honestly, well, I'm, I've always been a competitive athlete. I swam uh, all the way from when I was a small child through college, and I rode horses when I was younger. Uh, and then I got to high school, and my parents told me, well, you can continue to take lessons, or you can swim, be in marching band, play soccer, do all these eight other things, and come back to it later. So I went the other route. And then uh, when I graduated from college, I worked my last summer at a summer camp where a friend uh, said, you know what sounds really cool that I'd really like to try? I'd really like to try endurance riding. 
And then I said, what's that? <laughs> and so then the, the next semester, it was my first semester of grad school, I had a really boring computer class where, no joke, one of our assignments was on how to Google things. Now, keep in mind, <laughs> this was in 2006, so Google had been around for a little bit. Um, but I went ahead, I remembered what we had talked about, and I Googled endurance riding. And one of the first sites to pop up was for Global Endurance Training Center in Moab, Utah which I don't know if you know if we're familiar, but Christoph, that's actually, uh-huh. um, yeah, Christoph Shork and Diane Woodward. And so I emailed them and said, hey, I'm just looking for, you know, something to do over the summer. Do you take in, or do you know anyone who takes interns? And they said, well, we'll take you. Come out and ride during winter break and see, make sure you know what you're talking about and you're not crazy and everything, and then you can come work for us for the summer. So I was their very first intern. Oh, cool. And, uh then in 2008, I graduated. I, well, I moved down to Virginia to finish my degree because the last semester was just an internship. And, and what, that were, was at the what, were you, what were you studying? Uh, I got a master's in nonprofit arts administration. Okay. Uh, from Indiana University. What you couldn't and go any moved, you couldn't go any more specific than that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I spe- you know I specialized. I wanted to run performance venues is basically what I wanted to do. Uh, it's not what I currently do, but it was fun for a while. Uh, and I moved to Virginia about the same time that Heather and Jeremy Reynolds were here, and so we were all here at the same time. I was a broke grad student, and I basically, we were still using endurance net message boards and stuff like that at the time, and I got online and said, does anyone have extra horses to ride? And they said, yes, we have plenty. Please come help. Oh, good. <laughs> and, you know, through them, I, I rode, you know, some horses for them, and um, then they moved away, but we had, I had made connections from other friends, you know, Mary Howell, Amy Stone, a bunch of people up here, and bounced around horses for a while until I eventually was able to buy my own. And tell us about your horse, Legs. Uh, legs, Legolas. Uh, he uh-huh. is kind of a special story. <laughs> so Legolas is actually uh, the Old Dominion raffle horse, I want to say from 2006. I might have that year wrong. Um, he's one of the only momentous babies. There's another one out there named Sinuous who was also raffled off. Um, but he was actually won by a rider named Lisa Green, who really didn't want him, but somebody bought her a, a raffle ticket as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so she ended up with him, um, but she wasn't really interested in him. So she um, had contacted a, a mutual friend of ours, Mary Howell, and uh, basically sent him to a trainer and then wanted someone to kind of campaign and compete him for a year or so and then and then sell him and split the profit. Um, so I was that person that Mary found for her. <laughs> so okay. I basically campaigned and competed him for his first season. And um, then he ended up trading owners a few times and then come back around. I made friends with those other owners just because it's a small community and we all get along. And uh, his previous owner, Becky, she and her husband got pregnant. He was 10. And, um, you know, he's, he's a wonderful horse. Not necessarily, you know, he's, he's an endurance race horse. He's not necessarily set for a pregnant lady. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right. She, she called me. She called me because I, so, I know him so well and said, can you help me find him a home? And as I'm calling all my friends, they basically told me, that is your horse. And if you don't go get him, we're going to shoot you. <laughs> so so I, I bought him back and I actually kept him at my friend's place for a while until I found a good place to keep him down where I am now and I've had him back ever since 
great. I know he's been doing great for you. I know also since we kind of rode together a little bit, that's where we first met Glenn was in the dark on the Tevis Trail. <laughs> and so tell us about what got you out here to want to ride the Tevis. Um, well, I have uh, over here in the East Coast, we are very, very blessed in that we, we're right on the border of the Northeast and Southeast region. Um, and we have a ton of rides to choose from. Uh, having said that, you know, over the last few years, I think I've almost done all of them except for the ones that are pretty far away. So I really was kind of getting into uh, this frame of mind where I was looking for a new challenge uh, and, and something new to do. And I've always wanted to do Tevis. Legs is really coming into his prime. If you look up his record, you know, he's got, uh, he's almost at 2,000 miles and several top tens and really just performing well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, where I'm, I am with my job and financially and everything, I said, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I am perfectly set up to do it. So I need to go do it now. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> so we right, spent our season, right. um, you know, focused on training for that and getting out to that. And that was kind of our big adventure for the year. Right. And I remember following you, you made a Facebook page called Sarah and Legs do Tevis. And I remember kind of following you along and, you know, because you were posting about your trip and getting out here. And then it was just really interesting that we ended up writing together like we did. <laughs> yeah, my whole... um my whole reason for doing that was as I was getting ready uh, to come out to the race, you know, there's not a ton of information out there um, just in one place for folks who are traveling out there for the first time, you know, where to go, what's the fairgrounds like, what's uh-huh. the schedule for the week look like, you know, they don't really give you a ton of information. So my whole goal was to just kind of document that as we went so that folks could watch, but also if they were interested in doing it, have something to go back to or someone to ask questions, you know, how, how do I get this? Where do I stay? You know, how did you do your driving, driving Mm -hmm. shift, stuff like that, just, just so that they would have some information. When I go to a ride, I, you know, I don't have a set, you know, he's, I'm very fortunate in that my horse, you know, he goes great with other people, but he also goes great by himself. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just go at the pace and, and the plan I'm intending to go and match up who I, uh, match up with. And actually, we were right behind you at Cougar Rock as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I followed, I followed you up Cougar Rock. I was and, just uh, looking at your picture. Together later in the day. I was just looking at your <laughs> picture from Cougar Rock. Quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, everybody says it's, it's not as bad as it looks. Um, it's definitely pretty intimidating, but I'm, I was not coming out that far and <laughs> spending that much time and effort to not do get my picture. <laughs> so you're saying they all lied. They're all liars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that they're all liars, but it definitely was intimidating to me. But I, I have a lot of faith in my horse. He's very sure-footed, and I had more trouble making him wait to go up because he wanted to follow Bo up rather than uh, <laughs> just worried about getting up in general. I know, I know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You just want to kind of get in your own little zone there and go just get it done. And then once you were done, weren't you just so relieved? Yeah, it was definitely an adrenaline rush. Um, and I was very, very happy. <laughs> so I, I rode that adrenaline rush all the way the rest of the way to Red Star. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So what did you think of the ride? Um, you know, I'm very glad that I did it. It was a great experience. Uh, I had a lot of help getting out there. Um, it's, I was a little, you know, you know that there's a lot of ledges there, 
but I don't think I was anticipating that there were so many ledges. Uh, and what was funny, and we we had talked about this on the trail, you know, how the West Riders kind of view the, the ledges is how we view the rocks over here. You know, we're very used to riding over hard, rocky mountain trail. And, you know, I went out there and I had pre-ridden the week before just, you know, the back part of the finish line and things like that. And I'm thinking, where's the rocks? It's yeah, all that dirt. Part, right. Yeah. It was <laughs> That part's not too bad. Yeah. So the ledges were definitely a little more than I was anticipating, but uh, no, I had a great time. Right. Yeah, we did. We had a good time. We got kind of stuck behind this gal, Glenn, and she didn't want us to pass her. And so she was quite vocal about that. And, <laughs> um, and then, you know, and, and she wasn't really very nice, but karma kind of stepped in because she got pulled at the next vet check. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. She, um, the thing about that trail is very hard to, because the, those ledges are so skinny. There are very few places where you can pass folks. Um, so, you know, she didn't like, you know, we, Karen and I both like to ride with headlamps, um, to, so that we can watch, you know, so you can see, great. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so that we can see our horse. So, you know, make sure you know, a limb doesn't but, take you out of the saddle. Your horse is going to duck, but you're not going to see it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so we can see obstacles and things like that. Well, she preferred not to ride with one. Snakes. Fine. You know, those But things. then she wouldn't let us pass her and we kept catching up to her. And uh, she wouldn't let us go ahead. If she had let us go ahead, she could have been in the dark with on her own, and she would have been fine. But <laughs> that's all right. You know, it, it's it's a long day. <laughs> it's a long day. It's a lot of miles. I think that was probably around mile eighty or so. So everybody's tired and stressed out by that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we just had fun, you know, getting in to finish. And it was so calm and relaxing after we left that vet check because it was kind of just us. I mean, there weren't people passing us and the trail was just nice and peaceful and and uh, it was a really nice ride in. Yes. And there were less ledges. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. And now you are getting your horse and yourself prepared to qualify for the U.S. endurance team for the upcoming WEG, aren't you? I am. I'm trying. (laughs) I'm almost there. I'm very close. Good. And so what have you had to do so far up until now to get ready? Well, the the biggest thing about trying to qualify uh, for the selection trials is basically a lot of paperwork and uh, some more expensive ride fees. <laughs> um, so I had actually previously done some um, FEI rides and, and had already some uh, certifications and whatnot from riding for people like Heather and Jeremy previously, where occasionally they'd say, hey, can you come and ride our horse here, X, Y, Z, and get them through. Um, so I actually already had some of that process done. I had already passported legs, um, which, you know, is the paperwork you have to file with Yusef to compete at that level. Um, and I actually had him all the way up through his three-star ride, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, a hundred mile just under the FEI umbrella. And so he really, coming into this year, uh, the way it works is in order to qualify or in order to try out, basically, you have to work your horse up to a three star, which is, you know, a 50 is a one star, a 75 is a two star, a hundred is a three star. And then on top of that, um, they have to have five total rides. So your two and your three star from before count. 
at a two-star or higher level. So basically, of all of those six rides, five of those have to be 75 or higher, and one of those rides has to be 100 miles COC. COC stands for Certificate of Completion, which Mm -hmm. is another fancy way of just saying a fast 100. Uh, They have to average, it's in kilometers, it's 14 kilometers per hour. They have to finish faster than that pace, which ends up adding up to about 9.3 miles an hour. So, um, Tev- Tevis just, doesn't count then, I guess. <laughs> no, Tevis doesn't count. It has to be, <laughs> has to be an FBI ride. Okay, um, so, you yeah. Know, actually, right. he's done Old Dominion several times. He did the national championships when they were there a few years ago. But uh-huh. since those rides aren't FBI rides, they, they don't, don't count. count towards that. Right, right. So, so we t- have, um, he just got his 100-mile COC at the Broxton Bridge ride uh, that oh, was at the end of January. And he has one more ride to go, and we're hoping that'll be the Biltmore 75 in May. That's and cool. And then we'll be qualified to try out. And it's yeah. really cool that the Biltmore 75 is going to be right down the street from where you'll be riding at WEG. Yes, exactly. So there will be a lot of eyes on that ride to see uh, see how it goes. And I think we're, we're going to see um, a lot of riders even coming in from other countries to kind of test it out and see see what it looks like out there. Okay, how cool is the Biltmore ride anyway? It's got to be pretty cool. <laughs> Well, it is my favorite ride of the year. Um, it always has been, not only because that is my birthday week, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's my favorite kind of trail. It's not flat, but it's not super crazy mountain. So, you know, you get some technical things thrown at you that you have to go through. Uh, you get some hills and you get some some good variety in the trail, which that's really what I like. I like a lot of variety. But there's plenty of places where you can kind of just let your horse relax and move out. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful rides. Just It's in the base of the mountains, in the foothills. So you don't have a lot of hard mountain climbing or anything like that. So you get nice green rolling hills. Of course, the beautiful Bitmore Estate. You ride by the mansion several times. You get to go through the winery. That's, that's important. <laughs> you might want to make a pit. <laughs> you might want to get make a pit stop while you're there. <laughs> um, but and it's really well run. Um, Stag and Cheryl Newman have uh, run that ride for the last few years, and they do a great job. Um, you get great completion awards, uh, which you know is never it's never about the awards, but there it, it kind of helps. <laughs> sure. Uh, and they even have the um, the catering at the estate actually caters the ride dinner the night before. Um, so it's, it's a fantastic ride. You know, whether you're riding AERC or FEI, I highly recommend that everybody that can get to it go. Wow. Yes, it does sound like a great ride. We'll have to cover it a little bit more. I've done, I've tried to cover most of the bigger hundreds in the country, like the Old Dominion and Bighorn and Tevis. And, uh, so it'd be nice to do a little bit more in-depth reporting of, of the Biltmore Especially ride. with the WEG coming up. Now, what, 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 what do you consider your shot? How many are on the team and, you know, what kind of shot you have? Well, uh, I know that's you know, a biased I, question, right? That's a very, uh, yeah. that's a very good question. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, they, they're changing the whole selection process. And I know Mark talked a little bit about this last time. So, which is good. It's, it's really good for how things operate. I think it'll um, increase everybody's chances overall. So basically, uh, they'll have in the fall, they'll basically have a, a selection pre-ride. Um, which is kind of like a, a, a tryout. So if you're qualified or you're close to being qualified at that time, they'll let you come to this ride and try out to be on the team. They'll have their selection panel they're watching. 
Um, you know, Mark will be there coaching us through and giving us instructions on how he wants us to ride and things like that. Um, and, and that'll kind of narrow things down. So they're going to basically pick a long list, which um, he doesn't really have a set number for. Uh, I think he said around 24 riders last time, but that was just kind of a random number. So we'll just have to see who comes. But the traveling squad from that, that list that will actually go to WEG should be five horse and rider teams and one alternate. But the cool thing is, is what they're doing now is because we have that long list, say you don't make the team for WEG. Well, maybe a ride for like the North American championships are coming up right after that. And they can just pull from that long list of riders that maybe not the ones that went to WEG, but a different one to go to the championship after that. Um, so, you know, just because you don't make the team for WEG doesn't mean that you might not make it for another ride and you're still considered part of team USA. So, you know, our chances are definitely increased. Um, I think just because I'm fairly new to this, I'm a little bit of an underdog, but, uh, we're fingers crossed. Everything's looking great and we'll hope for the best. Well, I, I saw the hoof report that you posted on your page and I'm just thinking, wow, is everybody doing that? (laughs) No. (laughs) So, um, part of the process, uh, when you go, some of these rides are what they call observed rides. And basically, if you're doing an observed ride, you have the option to do it or not. Um, But Broxton was an observed ride. And what that means is that Mark was there, Kristen Brett was there, uh, and a few other folks, uh, some of our our judges or our veterinarians for Team USA, Ann Stewart, uh, Dr. Um, Olivia Rudolphy was there. And if you say that you're, you, you can tell them like, hey, go ahead and observe me, which basically is like, I'm trying out for Team USA watch me and, and see what you think. So they're keeping a closer eye on you and your crew as well. The crew is part of this, uh, as part of the day to see how you work as a team, see how well your horse is doing, um, see how smoothly things go or not go and, uh, to get, kind of get a, a gauge on where you're at and, uh, things you need to work on. So as part of that, after the ride, the day after, um, they do a more formal vet exam, um, a lot more in depth than, what they do during the vet checks normally at an endurance ride. So Mm -hmm. the day after you come up and you come, you know, after everybody's, it was a two day ride. So everybody had already left. Um, so it was a little bit calmer, but you, we came over and they kind of assess the horse. They look them over confirmationally. They actually do flex tests, flexion tests and watch Mm -hmm. them trot out as opposed to just watching them trot out normally. Uh, and they give you an overall evaluation, as far as what they think and uh, things you need to work on. So one of the things we needed to work on, which I already knew, were his feet. <laughs> so we have in this area, I don't know what it is, but we have kind of um, a stereotypical issue with long toes, farriers doing long toes and underrun heels. Okay. Um, I had had my farrier for just a couple, and I knew it was a problem because my horse was tripping over himself a lot. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure if you remember from Tevis, but he, he doesn't trip over himself unless his toes are long. Um, so we, I already knew we were going to have to kind of fix that. So what they asked me to do, and, and part of this is also seeing if I can follow direction, um, but they asked us to go and take him and get um, before and after, get some radiographs done, have a farrier take his feet back to where, you know, get his breakover back to where it needs to be and get the shape back to where it needs to be. And then um, we also took some after shots, some after radiographs too, so that they could see the change in the progress. Oh, cool. So we had one of my crew members, a Karen Neuenschwander, 
is a student of Daisy Bickings. I'm not sure if you know Daisy. She's uh, big on Facebook, but she's a good uh, good farrier that lives up in Pennsylvania. Okay. And Daisy, uh, we were able to get an appointment with Daisy and go up to Pennsylvania to her vet clinic there uh, and do it basically all in one shot where they did the before radiograph. She trimmed them up. They did after radiograph, and uh, we were set and good to go. But and now, and I now just you've got this really cool report. <laughs> yeah, well, Daisy does that for, for wow. a lot of folks. But um, yeah, I just thought that would be really interesting for to share so people can see what was going on. Again, just sharing information and, and trying to get it out there. Cool. And have you noticed a difference? Yes, he's not tripping over himself anymore. <laughs> well, that really is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You kind of feel, and I was telling Karen this on the way home, um, it kind of almost makes you feel like a bad horse owner, but at the same time, sometimes you got to learn things the hard way um, and better to, to catch it and have no major issues and fix it and then share that information with other people so they can learn um, than have a, a major problem happen or, oh, or sure. you know, he gets hurt or anything like that. Yeah, and it's great that you're doing it so scientifically. I mean, everything's measured and, you know, that to me would be like a really important thing, I think, for a lot of endurance horses to have done. Right. And, you know, the the unfortunate thing is not everybody can afford to do that. It isn't really the cheapest thing. And that's kind of, you know, it's, you know, you might, but another way to do it might be if you can't afford the radiographs, you know, you can at least work with your farrier on bringing that back. Um, where it needs to be. The nice thing about having the radiographs done is that you can actually, you get an inside view, and that's why we did it, of how far you can take it back in one shot. Um, so, you know, you're not overdoing it or you're not underdoing it. <laughs> you know, right. that, and that way you know exactly where your horse is, is where his angles are, and uh, how far you have to go. Thankfully, you know, I'd only had um, been working on him with that particular farrier for two cycles. So we were able to get him back to where he needed to be in basically one trim. Oh, good. Um, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah. Good. Terrific. Well, we, Glenn and I and everyone here wishes you the best of luck. And we're going to keep following along with you. You're going to need to update your Facebook page. That's not a problem. I will keep it updated. I was waiting uh, for uh, you to post and and say that we were doing this interview so that I could post it for everybody and they could listen. (laughs) Yes, we'll tag you in it as soon as it gets uh, published on the on the website. All right. right. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that was Sarah Schick, and we're looking forward to seeing her ride here on the East Coast and uh, hopefully meeting her at the WEG. That's so exciting. I, I think everybody's kind of getting excited about the WEG now that's, uh, comp- that's competing because they can see it. You know, it's 17 months away and everybody can kind of see it now. Right, right. Well, next up, we're going to talk about one of our show's longtime show sponsors, Renegade Hoof Boots, which are made in Arizona in the United States. They're available in two different models, the regular a Renegade hoof boot and the Viper hoof boot. They've also got glue-ons, although I just spoke with the owner the other day and she said they still just don't sell a lot of the glue-ons. The strap-on boots are by far the most oh, popular really? boot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and 
it's easy to see why, because they're so much easier to use. If you glue the boots on, you've got to prep your horse's feet. You know, it's a long process. You put the boots on, you go do your ride, and then guess what? You have to take them off. So that means even more work after you've just spent however many hours or days riding your horse. Whereas if you use the strap-on boots, they go right on super easy. They come off. They're easy to remove. You know, you just can hose them off or rinse them out in a bucket of water and put them away and you're done. And that's the the really the beauty of being able to use boots like this is that you can keep your horse barefoot the rest of the time and just use the boots when you need them. And like I have pointed out many times, they are so easy to use. I even have juniors that are very proficient at putting them on and taking them off because they are so easy. And if you would like to learn more about these boots, go to renegadehoofboots.com. You'll be able to look on the website and see all the different colors if you'd like to match your tack. If you need help with fitting or sizing, they are very helpful um, with their customer service. You can contact them through the website or look up Renegade Hoof Boots on Facebook and go to their Facebook page and join that. And you can ask questions there and have other users or one of the company reps can help you there as well. Very good. Well, our next guest is ready. Oh, great. Well, we have Patty Stedman back on. She has been here a couple of times before, and she has helped put together many of the endurance clinics for training and education. She's served on the education committee in the past as the chair. She's ridden over 3,000 miles herself. And we are going to talk today about how to know when your horse is ready to do an endurance ride, which I know is something which is the big question among every new endurance rider that we all have had. So welcome again to the show, Patty. How are you doing? Good morning, Karen and Glenn from so, uh, snowy Buffalo. <laughs> That's we were talking before the show and Glenn said, Patty must be snowed in there. <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. But okay. It's, it's, you know, everybody on the, on the East coast is a little panic, but yeah, that. The question about when you are ready for your first ride is probably the $64,000 question that we get at clinics. And, you know, some of the things with endurance riding are really, really complicated. But what I tell people is that this concept is actually very simple. So people are sometimes looking for a conditioning formula. I need to ride X numbers of these, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and at this speed. But what I can tell you is that I would consider a horse to be ready for its first limited distance 25 or 30 mile ride when it is conditioned to do 12 to 15 miles as a, as a training ride um, at about five miles per hour. And after that conditioning ride, the horse and the rider are both feeling bright eyed, bushy tailed, eating, drinking, not sore, not lame, and still has some gas in the tank. Mm-hmm. So bottom line, it's a matter of getting from where you are now to being able to do that 12 or 15 mile loop and feel good at the end of it. Right. And, um, oops, I'm sorry. I think I, my Skype just sort of cut out on me there, Patty. Sorry about that. No worries. But if you, if the, then the other question is, well, how do I get from where I am now to being able to do that ready for the first ride. 
And there's a formula we have in, in endurance conditioning, and it's called long, slow distance. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to start where you are now and to balance your horse's work and rest. So your conditioning rides and then rest periods after your conditioning rides, where each conditioning ride, you're just sort of incrementally bumping up either your speed or your distance or the difficulty of your ride. And then once you get to that 12 or 15 mile loop at, you know, five miles per hour or so and feeling good afterwards, you're ready to sign up. Right. And what kind of recoveries are you looking for during this period of of the training process? Oh, that is such a good question. So if the horse is mature, and to me, mature is at least five or six years old. Um, the, The tricky thing with horses and conditioning is that cardiovascular conditioning, like what we consider heart rate conditioning, comes very, very quickly to horses. So within weeks or even just a couple of months, a horse can get very, very cardiovascularly fit. The problem is that horses' muscles and tendons and ligaments take a little bit longer, in fact, months, and in some cases, people would say up to a year, to get Mm -hmm. hardened and strengthened. So to me, we we pay attention to our cardiovascular conditioning. So what we do is when we do a conditioning ride, we we actually hang a stethoscope right in our barn, and we live at the top of a hill. So what we'll do is we will come right into the barn, coming up this big hill, we will get off of our horses and we'll put the stethoscope on their horse, on the horses and get a sense of where the horse's heart rate is. And oftentimes it's 80, 84, even, you know, 90. And then we'll just let the horse cool. And what we're looking for with that cardiovascular um, conditioning is that the horse begins to recover pretty quickly. So usually within five minutes or certainly definitely within 10 minutes, those horses are below a heart rate of 60, uh, 60 beats per minute. And that's telling us that we are working them hard. In other words, we dismount and their heart rate is elevated, but we're also working them within their abilities right. that they're able to come down in, in five to 10 minutes. But to me, you know, we got to be careful because if we have a horse who is three or four or, you know, just barely five and we go out and we start doing galloping sets to work on cardiovascular conditioning, we're going to have a tendon or a ligament problem. So we have to keep in mind how long it takes those other structures to get strong. Right. And also mentally as well. If you start going out and doing, you know, uh, galloping and and getting a horse to go at speed at a young age like that, you're going to have a real handful at a ride, aren't you? Absolutely. That would be a grave, grave error. You know, one of the things we've done here in the last couple of months is we've taken our Endurance 101 clinics that we've done live all over the place. And what we've done is we've made them into a web-based training course. Um, called Endurance Essentials. And one of the things that we tell new riders, because they are so worried about the conditioning, is we tell them to focus on the training, to focus on the horse's brain. And while Mm -hmm. they're focusing on the horse's brain and their training, the conditioning is coming along for the ride. So in other words, teaching your horse to travel down the trail confidently, to play leapfrogging games so that you learn how to space on the trail and pass one another safely, how to cross bridges, stop an open gate, go through water. You know, all those things that we know are the brain challenges during an endurance ride. Fall off and the as edge you're of the doing cliff. that, uh, exactly. <laughs> how do you practice exactly that one, though? Because you things. can only get it wrong once. <laughs> yes, that is exactly right. Some of the, of the training has a very steep learning curve. Yeah, exactly. and if you get it wrong, you don't necessarily get a do-over. Good point. Absolutely true. <laughs> I say <laughs> stay away from the edge. 
and don't get closer and closer until you get much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why Sarah was behind me at Tavis, I think. <laughs> that's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, not for me. I don't do I don't do heights. I've done some I've done some trail where I was pretty puckered, uh, you know, going along, and that's oh, not my favorite. Me neither. And I didn't let her know that that's how I was feeling the same way as she was. <laughs> yeah, and they say that the horses are less afraid of the drop off and more afraid of the of the you know the wall on the side. So they tend to, to scoot towards the edge because they're more concerned about that. So, you know, you have that outside, outside leg on really hard, keeping them where Ex- you think they should be. Exactly. You definitely <laughs> get one, the one, the outside leg gets stronger for sure. <laughs> if you're riding on the no same kidding. trails all the time. I know. But that it's, training, you know, making, making sure the horse's brain is ready for that first endurance ride. Oh, it's mm-hmm. really, it's almost more important than the conditioning. If the horse has got a good brain, a good head on its shoulders and, and everybody's communicating well and safe, just getting around the ride is not usually the hard part. Right. Getting to, I've always said getting to the ride really is the hardest part. <laughs> There's no question about it and all the preparation. But I tell people, you know, it's like set a goal that, you know, if you, if you say to yourself, hey, you know, there's this ride in June or July, and if I focus on it, I can get ready to go. Tell people, don't wait until you feel like you are ready. Maybe mm-hmm. yourself, okay, I'm going to be ready. And then start setting some mini goals to get your training and conditioning there. Right. And what are some other things we can do to get our horses prepared mentally? Excellent question. So I think there are a couple that people sometimes don't think about. And one is the actual vetting process. So making sure that the horse is really comfortable having some complete stranger put their hands all over their body, palpate their legs and their back, you know, do a capillary refill check of their gums, put their fingers in their mouth, trot out in hand. Sometimes people come to their first ride and they've never actually trotted their horse out in hand. And boy, you can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really important one. And I think the other one, you'll probably agree that people sort of panic about this one, is how to camp with their horse. Right. And that's one of those ones where there's a lot of good ways to do it. None of them are perfect, but it's really important that you practice at home and that your horse will safely tie. I know you do a lot of hobbling training. All of that homework, that training is so important in making sure that your first camping experience is a safe one. Right. Definitely for sure. No kidding. So I always tell people, we, we after every one of our condition rides, we come back to the barn, we do all of our stuff with our stethoscope, we unpack, and then what we usually do is we take the horses out and, you know, we put our hands all over them, we palpate backs, we run our hands down legs, uh, and then we ask the horses to trot out uh, so that we, they know that after they work, they're going to have to do a nice prompt trot out straight out and back so that, you know, they're ready for that at a ride when they might be a little bit tired. Right. And what advice do you have for somebody that's new to this and they're reading about electrolytes? And and I know for some people, they're just (laughs) overwhelmed. And it's really like you said, with some of this other stuff, it's not really all that complicated. But when you don't know and and know nothing about it, you you know, it it seems overwhelming. So what can you tell us about that? Oh, I think. That's such a good question. It's such a good one for just for horse owners in general. And what you have to realize about the electrolytes, so the electrolytes are the salts that horses excrete when they sweat. But what's important, and if you look at the electrolytes, we're talking sodium, chloride, magnesium, potassium, calcium. 
one of the electrolytes, I think, or the, the electrolyte that I think is ends up being really important for endurance riders is salt, just table salt, mm-hmm. whether that's Himalayan salt or Redmond salt or just Morton salt that you buy at the grocery store. And what is sort of magical about salt is, A, horses need it in their diet, but it's an acquired taste. So it's sort of like um, if you're accustomed to salting your French fries or eating potato chips, that tastes really good to you. It's the same with the horses. If you add a little bit of salt to their, their rations, their mashes, um, a little bit of loose salt every day, they get used to the taste of it and they actually like the taste of it. Mm -hmm. So if you increase that salt um, in the days leading up to traveling or the days leading up to a competition, increasing that salt in their ration, what it does is it increases the sodium in their blood. And increasing the sodium in the blood causes the horse to get thirsty which is magical for us because what it does is it means that before we trailer to a ride or before the horse even begins to sweat in competition, they've tanked up, they've drunk more water, um, and now you've got a horse who is better hydrated going into the ride. And then once you start the ride, then there are a million and one arguments about how to electrolyte the horse during the ride to sort of replenish what they've Mm -hmm. excreted through the sweat of competition. And there, there's all kinds of options. So there's homemade electrolytes, there's powdered electrolytes that can be syringed. There are powdered electrolytes that are more palatable that can be fed in a mash. But generally speaking, what we recommend to people is that you're better off doing a little bit of electrolyting often, and especially early in a ride, um, and keep the horse going, to keep the horse drinking and to keep the hydration up. People can really get into trouble where they haven't given the horse salt and they haven't given any the horse any electrolytes early in a ride, and then the horse starts to get dehydrated, and now they're trying to play catch-up. So what happens is they end up dumping a bunch of electrolytes into a stomach knit that may be a little bit empty or may already be a little bit irritated, and then, mm-hmm. you know, it turns the horse off to eating. So it's one of those early, often, focus on the salt to get your horse to tank up, and then look at replacing as the ride starts. Right. And again, practice ahead of time. Oh, sure. Of course. And, and I can tell you, since salt is an acquired taste, if you give a horse a ration and they have not been getting salt, and you put a couple of scoops of salt in that ration, the horse is just going to up, flip up that you know, feed tub and walk away, give you their opinion about what they think about all that salt. You have to kind of think about it in advance, add it gradually and steadily, and that's the way to go. Practicing at home is absolutely right on. Exactly. Well, Patty, tell us a little bit about your blog and your training uh, web-based courses that you have. Very good. Well, well, the, the Endurance Essentials course, if people want to go find it, we are, it's funny, when you're doing web-based training, there's all these little computer things to work out at the end, and we are no kidding, days away from launching. But if you go to horselearningonline.com, all one word, horselearningonline.com, that'll take you to the Endurance Essentials uh, training course. Okay. And what it is, is we've taken all the, the basic fundamentals and focused on them. And it's about, we think it's going to be about a five-hour course. There's videos embedded. There's photos embedded. There's all this really great stuff, but it's, focuses on the basics. But the Endurance Essentials course also comes with a resources PDF. So links like, for example, your blog is in there about 100 times. All these great (laughs) blogs that you've written that go into more detail. 
and the articles on nutrition and oh, how to do a body condition score and how to do cardiovascular conditioning and heart rate monitors. All those things are in there sort of as an addition, sort of cherry on top of the whipped cream. Uh-huh. And then the course itself focuses on the real fundamentals. But we're really excited about getting it out there because we love the live clinics. But boy, in some parts of the country, it's really hard to find one close by. So we're hoping this gives a gap to people who are excited about the sport and just really need someone to sit them down and tell them how to get from point A to point B and be ready to go to their first ride. Right. And and this is something that's going to be useful, not just for people looking to attend an endurance ride, but for people that like to go out and just go on, um, you know, maybe just a week long trip with their horse. All of these are useful things that could really help them and their horses benefit, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So camping and, you know, I always tell people when they come to one of my clinics, hey, if you never get to an endurance ride, but you know, 